Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers, the podcast from Seven Hills, where we hear from inspirational people with a passion to make a difference. Now, my guest today is Natalie Campbell, new in post as the CEO of Baloo, the social enterprise bottled water business that puts the environment first. She's an author, broadcaster, social entrepreneur, and campaigner for purpose-led businesses. She even called her own firm a very good company. And along the way, she's worked with the Royal Foundation, the Big Lottery Fund, and is the founder host of the podcast Badass Women's Hour. That's quite an introduction. Natalie, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, let's start with um, your new role. You've just become CEO of Baloo, uh, a bottled water company with a very special mission, giving all its profits to WaterAid, over $5 million. Tell us about that new role. What are you going to bring to it? I mean, if if you could write uh, a dream job for someone like me, it would be run a commercial organization um, that makes products and things that people need, but gives all of its money away to making a difference. Um, and that's essentially what Blue is all about. We have a bottled water business and a filtration business um, that exists Yes, to give people what they need within hospitality. So, you know, when you sit down and you have a lovely meal and you want a bottle of sparkling water uh, with the bottle that appears on the table. But what we then do with 100% of our net profits is make sure that people all over the world can access clean water and decent toilets. And the big thing around coronavirus has been being able to wash your hands. Imagine if washing your hands wasn't an option. So knowing that I do work Um, that enables people to do that, just, you know, it's a dream. I mean, it's a great company. I mean, I, I want to quote something back to you, something you said. You said leaders find their rhythm, not fear being wrong, and to always shift the dial towards the direction change is heading. How uh, How's that going to affect your, your new role, do you think? Well, so I think I need to read some of my uh, uh, quotes before my exec team meetings. So it, it's totally true, and it's what I said to the team. So I joined on the 2nd of March, a couple of weeks before we went into lockdown. I've only ever met most of my team once in person. And I've had to build a new culture over video links. I've had to get everyone embracing what I call the gift of time um, to go back and do the planning and and reconnect with the business and the brand. But also think about how we find our new rhythm when we come out of this. What coronavirus has shown us is that businesses jump to give back when something really big happens. And if giving back was a key part of who we are and what we do. How do we find a new differentiator out there in the market? How do we refind our edge, which is a conversation that, that we've had? And so for, for me, that's our new rhythm. In addition to just being a team of nine people, that you know, the next time we mm. see each other will be the second time we've only ever met in person, but we already know so much about each other and have been speaking multiple times a day for the last you know, couple of months. I mean, I, I love that as part of the team ethos, small team, mm. big impact. I mean, you're always a person, I mean, I've, I've known you almost since the sort of within a month of us starting mm. Seven Hills, so about that must be well, long a long time um, now. Um, and, um, but, but I think big impact has always been part of your, of your style. You've, you've started a new job where you want to make a big impact, but you started in the middle of a global crisis, a terrible crisis. What have you learned about yourself, do you think, in terms of, you know, 
starting where you can't meet people day to day. You've got to do those things you spoke about in terms of the, the video links, etc. What does that do to Natalie? So my first realization is that I have fallbacks in my toolkit. So the first thing I did was connect to people. And I realized it's a consistent thing that I have done. And I think some CEOs would jump straight in and go straight to the product, or some CEOs would jump straight in and go straight to the profit margin, or some CEOs would jump straight in um, and, and maybe mothball the whole, whole, whole business. Whereas for me, the first thing was, how do I look after our people? And I didn't know them at this point, so I didn't know how to look after them. Um, how do I set the tone for culture from the get-go? How do I um, become a leader, but not, uh, you know, heroic, heroic out the front leader? Actually, how do you create a shared leadership um, way of working at the same time as realizing that you know, we don't know what our business is going to be when we come out of the other side of this? So that was one of my fallbacks. Another one of my fallbacks mm. is humor. And so keep making sure that there was an, an element of levity at all times um, and reminding people that we are not brain surgeons. There's no rocket science to this. Um, and keeping it light, that has been a, a consistent for, for a lot of, of my, my career. I generally don't take myself uh, too seriously, even if other people think I do. Um, mm. And so people, fun. And then the final bit is reminding people to switch off and go away. This, this is just work. And actually what is real right now is the fact that we've got families that we need to look after. We've got ourselves that we need to look after. And so all of the things that people thought they had to do around work, actually saying, do you know what? Actually, the sun's out. I don't want to talk now. Go go live your life because work will still be here on a Monday. And that has been um, a default position for most of my career as well. And so through those three things, it's been great. I mean, you know, you mentioned humor. I mean, we, we could do a whole show on bosses who find themselves utterly hilarious, <laughs> but we won't do it. I mean, you, you talk there, though, about this, about the vibe and about spending time. And I suppose, you know, th there is this sort of balance between you want to run a good business, um, you want to do things the right way, but you're also in a situation where I guess your, your customer base, UK hotels, restaurants, the catering mm -hmm. sector, in terms of how you respond to the needs of, of, of what is a, a very tough spot for those businesses. How, how are you finding that? How's, how's the kind of customer conversation evolving? Well, so for, for context for me, throughout my career, I've always had roles, um, jobs, or, or been in a position, even from a board perspective, of being able to jump to action to help. And walking into a new company where it wasn't immediately obvious how to help, was quite frustrating for me. And being in a business where the give back of, of Blue is that we give our net profit to, to WaterAid. And so the immediate thing of giving away bottles of water doesn't always chime with what we do. And so for me saying, well, can't we give bottles of water to free banks, which was my initial thing, to begin with, the answer was, well, no, because it's not what we usually do. And so working with the team to come up with a new, how do we help? Who do we help? And what does need look like based on where we are today? And I'm pleased to say the team mobilized really quickly and we managed to get water out to hospitals and we've got water to food banks. Um, but then we also, I ripped up the rule book on our partnership strategy and said, right, WaterAid is our 
main primary partner, but we need other partnerships with Hospitality Action and the Sustainable Restaurant Association. I've brought a women's refuge into that as well. And it's not just about what we can give. I've called up all my mates and said, right, what can you give? These organizations need stuff. Can we get them food parcels? Can we get them iPads? Like, what can we do? I put my own hand in my own pocket and I'm donating my own money where money has been the barrier to like, right, can we get them 24 iPads? Because you've got young people in a mental health facility that cannot connect with their family members. And actually, if we can give them an iPad, they can have a conversation with someone they love. Let's make it happen. And I don't want money to be the barrier. So those sorts of things has has been for me the grounding um, element of coming in as CEO during this moment uh, when it's not always obvious how to help. And I suppose mindful of the fact that people will remember how we yeah. all behave in these in these days. I mean, but Michael, not people. I'll remember how I behaved, so I might never tell anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have to look at myself in the mirror and remember what I did when the chips were down. And, and this is, I mean, in a moment of crisis, we do ask ourselves searching questions. I mean, we started our, our work together um, in the teeth of another crisis, a financial crisis. We worked on a report called Disruptive Influence for Virgin Media Pioneers, um, as then was. And I, I suppose in terms of looking at that, that kind of 10-year stretch, I mean, what do you think in terms of where, where we are today? I mean, in terms of the vibe in terms of the opportunity culture. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, we're going to move on as well to the Black Lives Matter um, as you know demonstrations. I think all within that context, in terms of where we were in two thousand and ten to where we are in twenty twenty. What have you made of it? Well, so the world in twenty twenty has seismic shift. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of other things that have happened throughout time. But for me, this feels like the world rejecting lots of things that it quietly accepted. Uh, And in some places, not even quietly, overtly accepted. So racism, sexism, um, greed, um, the negative sides of capitalism, all of that was just accepted and and, Mm -hmm. and, and done to people. And 2020 has seen the rise of kindness and people being thoughtful and conscious and considerate and raising their voice where they don't feel heard and on, and saying all of the things that they've never been comfortable to say. And yes, you know, when, when you've been trying to say something for ages and you finally get that moment, it comes out as, as anger. And I was describing the same levels of protest, um, and even rioting to someone else's, you know, let's go back to, to the minor strike. Let's go back to the poll tax rights. People were angry, angry about politics, but it, it's the same. We know what underpins thinking about racism. We know what underpins racism is systems. It's economics. It's lack of access to the same educational opportunities. It's lack of access to opportunities. And so the tension is political tension. It's, so people are shouting louder so they can be heard. My hope is that a bit like trauma, people go one of two ways. They either go come out of it and go sex, drugs and rock and roll. If I'm, so I'm thinking about COVID, if I'm going to die tomorrow, <laughs> then I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. Or, Live it now. Yeah. Yeah. or they just go, oh, I've been living my life the wrong way. Um, I need to care. And I hope 
the world shifts to I need to care and it's maintained versus people sort of forgetting that they've just gone through a huge operation and had their heart replaced. I mean, that's an interesting um, observation because it might well be that this moment of crisis um, on a number of different fronts have all come together mm-hmm. to create the conditions for change in a way that in the past, I mean, a lot of people that are frustrated say, well, look, we've been here, we've been close to change yeah. before, but then things go backwards. I mean, d- do you get that sense that we really may well be on the verge of, of, of something different? Or do you think we could be doing this show in a couple of years' time and, and, and essentially be talking about the same things? I sincerely hope with every fibre of my being that we are in the eye of of change. Um, There's a sceptic in me that thinks as soon as governments around the world say we can go back to business, business and capitalism will sort of mobilise and do what it does best, which is make money. And because Profits are so far down, making money will override the conscious bit, the thoughtfulness bit, the kindness bit. But what I th- we do know is that the businesses, the organizations that listen to the pulse of people, society, are the ones that will still be around in the next, I'm not even going to say 10 years, in the next two years, <clears throat> in the next five years. And then the next 10. This is the bet on the table, isn't it? Which is that, you know, there is such big societal shifts, such big changes in attitude that to be a good business is not only the right thing to do, it's going to be really good business for the future because you're actually backing the way that society is shifting. That, that's that, there's no that, that's not a, a, an argument that is yet is yet one is it I mean a lot of people see things like kindness as as, as a weakness mm-hmm. I mean there are a lot of a lot of things that are still pretty disquieting in this and a, a lot of think people that think well we'll be back to some form of normality before you know it and those people may well be right and I'm going to say they probably want it that way because that's the way that they've always operated and it's very comfortable for them but I would say the generation of people coming up so I'm going to say probably gen z's and the younger millennials just aren't in that place they don't want to go back they don't want to go back to the commute they don't want to go back to sitting next to a colleague and going for lunch at one o'clock because everyone else is going for lunch at one o'clock they want something different and so I don't even think it's enough to be a good business anymore. Um, to, to be a business that exists and is profitable and does well, I feel and I hope that they'll have to adapt to the shift. Otherwise, they won't have the best talent in their organizations. They won't have mm. the best ideas coming through and they won't have products that people want to buy. So if you're a, if you're a business leader listening to this podcast now, what, What's the advice you'd give them in terms of if, if they're thinking, right, I, I know I need to change, I want to change. What, what, what's the first step? What, 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 can, what can people do? Be open. So don't go in, if anyone that's going into this defensive, and this is me talking about conversations about race, conversations about changing your workplace, conversations about life, you cannot be defensive. 
go in being open and open to listening to all points of view um, and then take some time to put a plan in place before you respond. So the worst thing a business can do is it the knee jerk response because you're probably going to get it wrong. But actually, if you reflect on the way your organization is built, if fundamentally your values do not align to the thing you're about to release in that statement, you're going to fall flat pretty quickly. And so it's doing the work on the DNA of your organization and then responding to say, we're doing this work on the DNA, on the fundamentals that make us who we are. And we're going on a journey. So this is not going to happen overnight. Change does not happen mm. overnight. So is it a 12-month 12, 12 journey with review? Is it six months? Is it 24 months? And then take everyone with you that's a part of the conversation. Take everyone on the journey with you that you've involved in the conversation. Um, because no one likes to feel like anything's being done to them. And I think you know, the CEOs that come through this will, will say that they got through this because they invested the time in, in communicating, engaging and listening to their people. And presumably there's also something in it is that from whatever base you start is that, you know, to be a change maker, you've got to be excited about the change mm. that you can, you can affect and, and deliver. And I, and I, I do wonder that in business is that there are things that, that leaders can do. And, you know, I, I, I think that there are, there are things there to think about in terms of um, how you make the difference. Yeah. Any leader that doesn't think they can facilitate change should probably step down and resign. Um, otherwise, why are you there? And so if you can't create the right conditions and if you can't create a vision for what different looks like and then set the roadmap to deliver the change, then go home. But actually, you know, if you are there to lead, that's what you need to do. If you want the business to, to be around. Now, now le leaders also innovate and, and your career is full of innovation. Mm -hmm. Badass Women's Hour. What a what a cracking idea. Three friends who set out to bring real women's conversations to the mainstream media. That was a that was back then. Three hundred and forty podcasts later, you've interviewed the lot. Yeah. I mean, tell us about that experience. So it started exactly like all good ideas. I used to host dinners for women and we'd have really honest conversations about barriers and opportunities around around work and life. And one day I was just thinking, if we're having these conversations, other women must be having these conversations. And the conversations were usually quite feisty and yeah, usually over wine. So everyone was very honest. Um, and uh, we were approached by W Hotels to put on a panel event. And so I mixed the dinner conversation with a panel event and me being me, I have this thing called sweat the asset. If you're doing one thing, how can you sweat it 10 times? And so for that event, I said, right, we're also going to podcast it. There's a new thing called podcasting. This was four and a bit years ago. Um, so we're going to do that. And we recorded it on a really tiny, crappy device. The audio is terrible. It makes me cringe listening back to it. Um, but after that event, I sort of thought, well, what's the next stage? Because the other bit to sweat the asset is go big or go home. So then I said, well, we're going to get a national radio show. And the beauty of networks is I had a friend at Virgin. I emailed her and said, can you connect with someone at Virgin Radio? She did. Virgin Radio said, well, we do music, but we've got a sister station called Talk Radio. Have a chat with them. We met, walked in, met them. And pretty much at that meeting, 
Uh, Denny Morris, to his credit, said, yeah, let's give it a go. But we're not going to put you live on air. We'll let you record the podcast here and we'll go through some artist development and let's just see where things go. And down the line, sort of four months in, we found out that they, well, one of the producers thought we'd quit because we had to turn off every Friday off our own backs, you know, paying, paying out money for different events and stuff to do this podcast. Um, and after, I think, six months, our show went out, recorded as live for an hour. And then we moved to three hours live, uh, national every Saturday. Uh, and then it was a wonderful journey of having a platform of three hours of national radio to talk about all of the things you generally don't hear. And being called Badass Women's Hour, you know, it wasn't on the BBC. So we could go there. We could say things. We could get different voices on to challenge the norm and we could have our own strong opinions. So it was an absolute joy and privilege to do. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm wondering how, how that sort of came up, uh, came up in conversation in, in the job interview when you went to the Royal <laughs> Foundation to work with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, the, the fabulous four as they're known. Quick, quick word on that experience um, in terms of working with some of the most dynamic younger members of the royal family. So I, I actually mentioned it at, at my interview and lots of people think badass is a swear word. And I remember um, one of the private secretaries saw almost stuttering uh, over it. Uh, that interview, um, more so than the principals, as, as we call them, I was interviewed by my woman crush, Lorraine Hegacy, who was the first female controller of BBC One and then went on to be the CEO of Talkback Thames. And I had stalked her and sent her flowers when I was 21, asking her to be my mentor. She said no, but she wrote me a lovely note back saying, you know, I wish you well in your career. So the highlight for me was actually being interviewed by Lorraine and then being offered the role to then work with her. And it, it, it's one of those experiences that you can't, there'll never be anything like it because you experience what we call soft power um, in that you don't, you know, you don't need to campaign or, 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 or shout or, or um, manoeuvre the same way you would if you were a Chasbourne organisation when you have the soft power of the royal family because of who they mm-hmm. are. Uh, and so the shift that they can make at the speed that they can make is, is unbelievable. And it was an absolute privilege to be there and work with them on campaigns across mental health and the launch of the Duchess of Sussex's cookbook together. I mean, that experience with those women um, after Grenfell just, it gave me so much purpose and, and, and meaning. And I was obviously very well fed for a long time. Um, so yeah, so any anyone ever wondering, you know, what it's like, it's, the best job in the world uh, where you know it's where it's not commercial so for me blue is the best job in the world but it's got the commercial ticks working um in it in their charity you don't have the commercial sort of buying and selling so it's also the best job in the world in that way well i th- i think what a place to leave it on T- two best jobs in the world now we would have gone on to discuss starting a business in seven simple steps which is the book that natalie wrote i think it's well worth a trip 
um, over to Amazon to uh, not only give the podcast a great rating, but to also pick up a great copy um, of the book. But thanks to, to Natalie for joining us on, on this issue of the of the Changemakers. I mean, a brilliant message there about doing the right thing. First and foremost, because it's the right thing to do, and we heard it there. Start with yourself, and um, if you if you look at this uh, the, the notes to go this episode, you'll see so many of the inspirations um, behind Natalie's life. But I would just finish with her best tip for life, which is know yourself, be yourself, and look after yourself. We'll see you on the next Change Makers.